Praise the Lord this morning. Well, the title on the screen, SOS, Save Our Souls Today. Save Our Souls. Everyone recognizes the letters SOS, and they are from the Morse code, early 20th century, the telegraph system. If somebody was in distress, needing urgent help, the, they would punch out, key out, dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, 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 which represented the letters SOS. It was the most easily recognized and easily trans transmittable code, and that's why it was used. It was a cry for help, a cry for urgent need of rescue. And it later became associated with terms such as save our souls, which we'll deal with today. Also, send out sucker, send out aid or help, and also save our ship, because it was used for those, especially in distress on the seas, but those that were stranded on the ground and needed rescue, they would form an SOS in the sand or on the ground to be seen from above in hopes of being rescued. Today, I want to deal with the aspect, save our souls, and speak about our salvation and our saving faith. Today, I want to sweep the hill the holy mountain of the Lord. At ski resorts, as the day comes to an end and darkness begins to fall and the ski day is over, at the ski resorts, the ski patrol make one final sweep of the hill. They sweep the hill to make sure that nobody's stranded on the hill, nobody's lost or alone, that everyone is safely in for the night before the cold comes and the darkness falls. I want to make sure today that every person in this congregation is brought in before darkness falls and the cold set in, sets in. That every one of us understand the faith that is needed, the faith that is needed for salvation in Jesus Christ. Because there are different kinds of faith spoken of in the Word of God by Jesus himself and some that do not qualify as a saving faith. The Bible speaks of a saving faith, a, a faith that is sufficient and of a quality that saves our souls. It's a justifying faith. The word justify means to pronounce or declare righteous. Is our faith of such a quality before God that he pronounces us righteous in Jesus Christ? And so today we want to make sure this entire congregation understands saving faith and that our faith is of a quality that assures our salvation before the living God. There are many different opinions and viewpoints about faith and Christ and Christianity. Just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark and I were speaking to a man and by his language, I thought there must be some Christian influence. Maybe this man's a Christian, so I asked him and he said, uh, he said, well, about Christianity, about Christ, he said, I love the teachings of Jesus. I love the teachings of Jesus, but all that stuff about the cross, I don't, have, I don't want anything to do with that, but I love the teachings of Jesus. We have to have a saving faith in Christ in order to be his sons and his daughters. We know the scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever <clears throat> believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. In other words, outside of Christ, we are perishing. 
It's only if we believe in Christ that we come out from under judgment and death and a crisis eternity and what the Bible says will be fire and brimstone, hell for eternity. It's only in Christ and we are to cling to Jesus as desperately as a drowning man would cling to a life preserver tossed to him on the waters. Believe in Christ. Cling as desperately to the Lord as somebody lost at sea, drowning, at the brink of losing their life, and somebody throws them a flotation device, and they hold on with all their might, rescued. Now let's listen to some words from Jesus today, Luke chapter 13. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Let's consider this question today. Are there few that are saved? Now this young man had obviously heard some of Jesus' teachings from the past. Jesus was in his final journey toward Jerusalem. We have words like Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's the next scripture. Let's bring that up for a moment. Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus said. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to eternal life. And there are few who find it. Now let's go back to the previous scripture, Luke chapter 13. Jesus was journeying through the villages, one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? This young man was looking at the crowds. He'd heard Jesus say there are few that are going to be saved. But as he looked at the crowds, as Jesus was traveling from city to village, and there were thousands and thousands of people flocking to Jesus to hear his words, to be touched by his ministry, and things weren't adding up for this young man. He said, Lord, are, are there only few that are going to be saved? Jesus said, you're, you're judging by a wrong rule. You're judging by popularity. You're judging by popular Christian religion and Christian terminology. And Jesus said, if, you know, if, if easy believism and cheap profession were sufficient, heaven would soon be full enough. He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We went to church. You taught in our streets. We heard some gospel messages. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. 
Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. He says many will seek to enter and, not will, and will not be able. Jesus said strive. Strive to enter the narrow gate. Strive with all your might to make sure you make heaven. The word strive is the word agon, and, it were, and it's the word from which we get agony. Jesus said agonize to make sure that you enter the true and narrow gate, my salvation. It's the word that is used in other places of conflict. It's the word where the Apostle Paul said, fight the good fight of faith, agonize the good fight of faith. It means to stop at nothing, but with incredible zeal and full heart to press on to know the Lord. Jesus said, strive, strive to enter. Don't let anything hold you back from the kingdom. Don't let anything hold you back from eternal life. Strive to enter the kingdom of God. Seeker-friendly or striver-friendly? There are churches today that boast themselves and commend themselves as being seeker-friendly. You'll never hear a discouraging word. You'll never hear about hell or repentance or the crucified life. It's all motivational talks and uplifting and encouraging. Jesus said, Strive to enter the kingdom of God. Put forth every effort to enter the kingdom of God and serve God fully and righteously. I don't know about you, but if I have to choose between Jesus' words and the words of some cool-spirited preacher, I'm going to side with Jesus every time. And Jesus is striver-friendly. Jesus is striver-friendly. Those who strive, those who put forth their zeal, those who put forth all their heart to serve the Lord. He brought forth this image. Not some preacher. Jesus brought forth this image of many people milling about heaven's door. Many people. He says many are seeking to enter, but they will not be able they might think they can. They might hope they can. He says there are many people milling about heaven's door, willing enough to enter if the terms aren't too demanding. Jesus said, seekers, there are many. Strivers, there are few. John chapter 6. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Jesus began to talk to his disciples, the crowds that were following him, the Jesus followers, and he said, listen, you have to partake of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. It's going to co cost you the crucified life. I'm going to the cross, and you're going to have to believe into my death, burial, and resurrection in order to walk with me. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Is this causing you to stumble? You're willing to follow me. You're following me around the towns and villages. You love my ministry. You love my words. But when I begin to speak about the crucified life, repentance, and walking in a new life of Christ... 
You're hesitant. You want to pull away. He said, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, spiritual, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Many disciples were following the Lord. Many Jesus followers. Many in the crowd. He said, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. In the Jesus crowd, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not truly believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back. Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe. We have come to believe. We've investigated your message. We've investigated this gospel. We have come to believe, and we know, you, we are convinced that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This morning, seekers or strivers? Seekers or strivers. There are different kinds of faith. There is historical faith. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Christian. I was baby dedicated. I was baptized as an infant. I belong to the church. That's simply historical faith. And that faith is not sufficient according to the word of God for eternal life and salvation in Jesus Christ. There is mental faith. I believe, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. I believe in a higher power, a supreme being. I, yeah, I believe in God. That should be enough. But James 2.19 says, you believe in God? You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. The demons believe in God. But they're not saved, obviously. They believe in God, but they do not have a saving faith. And the Bible says they tremble because they know the judgment awaiting them. They know the lake of fire awaiting them. It's merely a, a mental ascent to the gospel. There is works faith. Works faith. People say, I'm a good person. I never hurt anyone. I do the best I can. I'm kind to my neighbors. I've, I've raised a good family. I'm, I'm a good citizen. But the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Our righteous works don't qualify for our salvation. In Ephesians 2, the Bible says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of works. This salvation is the gift of God. So we have different kinds of faith that are not sufficient according to the word of God. The only faith that is sufficient for salvation and eternal life is true saving faith. Saving faith. Faith for salvation. Now listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 1 verse 12. This saving faith 
is a believing with all the heart. A believing on Jesus Christ with all the heart. John 1, 12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. To those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, those who are born of God. It says there are some that, that say they're born of blood. I belong to a Christian family. This is the historical faith. I go to church. My grandmother was a Christian. My family's been Christian. We, we've always been part of Christianity. I, I grew up in a Christian country. The Bible says it's not of blood. It's not of family line. It's not of tradition. Some say of the will of the flesh. The will of the flesh is self-effort, the good works. I'm going to do the best I can, and surely God will accept me. Surely God wouldn't send me to hell. I've done the best I can. That is of the will of the flesh, the power of the human life. The will of man, that's religion. That's a church. Church saying, if you belong to this church, heaven is your home. You belong to this church, you're baptized in this church, you attend this church, your name is on the register of this church, then you're good, you're saved. That is being born of the will of man. Now Jesus said those don't suffice. We must be born of God. We must have a new creation experience. As Jesus said, you must be born again. Where we die to our old life, to our old self in Christ, we are buried in the waters of baptism, and we rise up to walk in the life of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what it, that's what it means to be born of God. And the Bible says that is a true believing into Jesus Christ. Romans 10.10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's heart belief heart belief where the heart gives over in surrender to the Lord in Acts chapter 8 35 to 37 the evangelist Philip was preaching to the Ethiopian man the Bible says Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what hinders me from being baptized then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. If you believe with all your heart, do you believe on Jesus Christ with all your heart? You can be baptized. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. A full surrender of his heart, a full believing on Jesus Christ and corresponding action. In Matthew eleven twenty eight and 1 Peter 2, 5, this believing on Jesus Christ is called a coming to Christ. Come unto me, 
All you who labor and are heavy burdened, Jesus said, I will give you rest. Come and learn of me. It's spoken of as a coming to Christ. In 1 Peter 2.5, coming to him as to a living stone. In John 1.12, it's spoken of as a receiving of Christ. To as many as received him, took him deep into their life and into their being, they received him. And John 17, 20, it's a believing in Christ, a true trust and believing. I love the acrostic for faith, forsaking all, I take him. That's saving faith, forsaking all, I take him. I bring the sentence of death over my life. I only want to live for one person, that is Jesus Christ, and I honor him in everything I do and everything I am. That is true saving faith. Coming to him as to a living stone. Then we have 2 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 14. The Apostle Paul said, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know... Whom I have believed, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day of Christ, until that judgment day, the coming of the Lord. He says, I know who I have believed, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. Paul, what have you committed to him? my soul's salvation. He is able to keep, he's able to guard, he's able to guide what I have given him. I have entrusted him with my soul's salvation. Now the Apostle Paul said, I, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. You can't put your trust in someone until you know them. It's not easy to put trust in a stranger at first meeting. But we have to learn to know who Jesus Christ is. Understand who he is, our Savior, our Lord. Understand the word of God. We can believe fully into Christ as we get to know him. And that's why Jesus said we must learn of him. Sometimes people think the early apostles of the Lamb, the early disciples, dropped everything at a moment and followed Christ because we read in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that he walked by the Lake of Galilee one day and he called them and they tossed aside their nets and their fishing business and walked out on their father and went to be with Jesus, that it was just in a quick flash moment. But when you read the Gospel of John, you know it isn't true. That these young disciples had learned of Jesus. They'd walked with him since the Jordan baptism of John the Baptist. And they'd learned about him for approximately almost a year at this time. They knew him. They understood him. They trusted him. And then when he said, forsake all and follow me, they were quick in obedience because they knew him. For I know whom I have believed. That's why Jesus said, everyone who is taught of God and learned comes to me. Learned comes to me. And we give our life away to the Lord. We give our life in saving faith to the Lord and make that deep commitment to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. 
in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Then he says, that good thing which was committed to you, guard or keep by the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, he talks about something that he, was, that he has committed to God. And in verse 14, he's speaking of something that has been committed by God to him, that he is responsible to keep and to guard. And that which has been committed to Paul and to us by the Holy Spirit is the gospel truth, the gospel treasure, the divine truth, the Christian faith. We are responsible to guard that and keep that. And while we're doing that, God is keeping our soul's salvation, that which I've committed unto him. That which I've committed unto him. We put our full weight on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The Bible says that he is the living stone. The rock of our salvation is Jesus Christ. And saving faith is putting your full weight on Jesus Christ as the rock of your salvation. And the rock doesn't move. The rock of our salvation doesn't move. He is a sure foundation. Now sometimes we're a little unsteady on the rock. We're assailed by doubts and circumstances, winds of adversity we blow and we shake a little bit on the rock. But if our salvation in Christ, if we put our salvation on Christ, our salvation is genuine and our salvation is sure. We may move a little bit, but the rock doesn't move. We know to whom we've committed our life and entrusted our eternal salvation. Acts chapter 16, the Philippi jailer. Paul and Silas had been taken, had been, were beaten, placed in stocks and put into the prison at Philippi. Verse 25, but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from, a, from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is quite the scene. Earthquake hits the prison. The jailer falls at their feet. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Had this jailer heard the gospel before? What would prompt a man in a moment like that to fall on his knees and want the salvation of God? This jailer obviously was suffering from an uneasy conscience. He knew his heart wasn't right with God and when that earthquake began to shake the jail and calamity hit, all of a sudden he was arrested as to his eternal condition and he understood the judgments of God that would come upon his life if he was not in right relationship with God. Had he heard the gospel before? Perhaps. But one thing as a jailer in the Roman judicial system, he would have known about Christianity for it was noised far and wide. The Jesus followers, 
the Christ of Galilee. He would have had an acquaintance with the gospel in some form or measure. And that night when calamity hit and his own soul was arrested and he saw his spiritual condition, he fell down before those men of God and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Put your full trust on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. That's a true conversion. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called believing with all your heart. It's called coming to Jesus. It's called receiving Jesus. It's called being born again by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Apostle Paul said, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. He's writing this to the church at Corinth. He said, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. Is my faith a true saving faith? Forsaking all I take him, have I given up my life, surrendered everything? to follow Jesus Christ? Or did I just pray a quick sinner's prayer and a preacher told me now I'm going to heaven? If that's all it took, heaven would soon be full enough. Now if you pray a sinner's prayer with all your heart and all your soul, it's effective. But Jesus said, strive to enter the narrow gate. Give up everything to follow me. Make a decision. It's not just a quick prayer from the lips. It's a decision of the heart. I give my life to Jesus Christ and I will follow him for time and into eternity. Bible says, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. The marginal says, unless indeed you do not pass the test. Every Christian, so-called, every person in the house of God has to answer this question. Do I pass the test? Do I really belong to Jesus Christ? Have I given everything to follow the Lord? Am I striver-friendly? Or am I just seeker-friendly? Now, there's a difference between faith and assurance of salvation. There's a difference between faith for salvation and assurance of salvation. And I want to close out with this this morning, because this to me is important. Sometimes assurance is almost instantaneous with faith, or can be, but often it follows faith. In my early teenage years, I struggled with assurance of faith, of my salvation. There are Christians that struggle, and perhaps there's some here this morning, you struggle with assurance of salvation. And there's questions that linger sometimes in young converts. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? 
Why then do I have all these temptations? Why do I have so many disturbances in my soul? Am I really saved? But there is a difference between faith and assurance. And sometimes we have to walk with God and persist a little bit until assurance is settled down in our soul. And that's all right. But let assurance be settled in our soul. When I was in my late boyhood, early teenage years, I struggled with assurance of my salvation. And because of it, at times I made repeated trips to the altar when there was a salvation call or a rededication call. I wanted to be sure. See, I had grown up in a Christian home. Strong Christian family, my father and mother, my brothers. We served the Lord with all our heart. Went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer service, youth service, evangelistic services, camp meetings. We were in the house of God. I accepted the Lord on my mother's knee. Two, three, four years of age. Started memorizing scripture at three years of age under the guidance of my mother. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 10 years of age, speaking in other tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. Age 12, water baptized, walking with God. My life, I'm a Christian, I love you, Lord. You know the tenderness of a child, the humility and sincerity of a child. Jesus, I love you, I want to follow you all the days of my life. But when the late boyhood and early teenage years came across my life, all of a sudden my life changed. All of a sudden, I was aware of worldliness and worldly temptations. All of a sudden, I was aware of changes in my body. All of a sudden, I was aware of temptation, the pull of the flesh, sexual awareness, the world, Christ and the world. Where am I going to go? Am I going to serve the Lord? There's such a pull, such an attraction to the world. Want to be part of the in crowd. Popularity at school, peer pressure. And I had to make decision. And that's why sometimes I made a few trips to the altar in those years. And people may have looked over and said, he's a Christian. He's walked with God all his life. I needed assurance in my heart. So I went to the altar to rededicate myself, say, Lord, you know the pull on my life. You know the temptation. I want to serve you. Help me, Lord. And assurance of faith settled down. I say there are only seven days in my life when I wasn't saved. Seven days in my life. It happened when I was 15 years of age, serving the Lord, doing all the duties of life, school, all the school crowd, boys and girls, everything going on. And I could, I could take you to the place today where this happened in the town of Barrett, Alberta. And as I walked out of an establishment, I can't remember what it was, or post office, I remember on the sidewalk, something happened that frustrated me or disappointed me, and a swear word blurted out of my lips. I never swore before. And I said to myself, I was taken aback by it. I said, I cannot believe that swear word came out of my lips. I have no intention to swear. I want to serve the Lord. I said, I... I can't live this Christian life. Obviously, I can't live this Christian life. 
And I made a decision that day that for the next seven days, I would not pray, I would not call on the name of the Lord, I would not serve the Lord for seven days fully. Now, up to that point, every night in my early teenage years and before, I would pray to the Lord, Father, cleanse me. Anything today that has defiled me or where I've crossed the line in some way, wash me. I want to be pure before you. I, I worship you. Cleanse my heart. Before that, I'd always done that before going to bed, but that night I didn't. And I was fully convinced that in those seven days, if I died, or if Jesus Christ would have come, I would have not gone to be with him. I would have gone to a Christless eternity or to a seven-year tribulation as we taught back then. And I'd have to be martyred for the faith. But I knew I would not be accepted of the Lord. It was torturing. Because I had a fear of God in me and a fear of hell. Day two, day three, day four. This is tormenting. Wow, I can hardly wait till day seven if I live that long. Day six, day seven came in the evening. And I went to bed that night and I was so relieved. And I poured up my heart to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. I repent. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. And I thank God that even though I was tossed about on the rough waters of life in that teenage time, my anchor held within the veil to the rock Christ Jesus, my Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know you are saved. You know you are saved when Jesus means more to you than anything else in this world. And you want to serve him with all your heart. And you want to please him in everything you do. You know you're saved. Let's bow our heads this morning. Holy Spirit, sweep the holy mountain this morning. Not one person here be lost to Jesus Christ and eternal salvation. We've been trusting in anything but a full belief in Jesus Christ. According to Jesus' own words, become a striver for the kingdom. Be striver friendly. Give everything you have to follow Jesus. Give everything you have to know his word and spend time with him and walk with him. Jesus said that's the few. Those are the few that come into my kingdom those who believe with all the heart. And this morning, as we examine our own lives, if you feel a necessity in your heart to rise from where you are, why don't we stand as a congregation? If you feel a need to slip out from where you are and come to the altar and settle your soul's salvation, your life in Jesus Christ, that you would have a full salvation, a true saving faith, then please slip out from where you are. If you need assurance, if you need a reconsecration, a rededication to the Lord, slip out from where you are. Come and say, Jesus, I give you my life fully. Forsaking all, I take you. I forsake the idols of sin and self. I forsake my own way. I will follow you all the days of my life. If that's you this morning, come. Receive from the Lord.
People will pray over you, receive assurance of salvation. From this day forward, know that you belong to Jesus Christ, fully and finally, believing on him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Hallelujah. That none should perish in this house of the Lord. Every person would be gathered. Every person under this gospel ministry would be gathered before the darkness settles in and the cold of night falls on this world to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Come and receive Jesus Christ fully. Come and give your life to him without reservation. Abandon yourself to Jesus Christ and the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless those who are coming this morning. Let's open up our hearts and honor the Lord this morning. Surrender to the Lord afresh. Everything, Lord. I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. SOS, save our souls. SOS, save our souls. Cling as desperately to Jesus as a drowning man would cling to a life preserver because that's the level of this spiritual life.